We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, let me go over and see this strange sight why this bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are pressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can take your seats. Let me welcome you to Resurrection Oakland uh, along with Dave. My name is Brent, and if you're new this morning, we are so, so very glad that you're here. We would love to get to meet you and learn your name after the service. And you have come on a good Sunday. Every Sunday is a good Sunday to be a first-timer at Res Oak, but today is a good one. We just started a new series in the book of Exodus last week, and for the next eight weeks, we're going to be doing kind of this 30,000-foot flyover 
of the book of Exodus. And this series, I think it's important for a couple reasons. Number one, Exodus is the second book in the Bible, which means that it's in the Old Testament. Now, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and here is something that I've observed. Most people, even most Christians, don't know what to do with the Old Testament. We, we think that there's this difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. We think the God of the Old Testament is, is kind of cranky, always in a bad mood, you know, vengeful, always looking for somebody to just strike down. But then all of a sudden, in the middle of history, it's like God changed his personality, and Jesus showed up, and God is loving and merciful and gracious. Friends, to read the Bible in that way is to misread the Bible. God does not change. God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we're going to see in this series is that the God we find in the New Testament is the same God we find in the Old Testament. And that is a God who loves to save, who loves to rescue, who loves to bring redemption, who loves to make and keep his promises, and who is opposed to every kind of evil that is undoing his creation, which he made and loves deeply. That's the first reason this series is important. Here's the second one. Uh, You cannot understand the Bible without understanding the story of the Exodus. Exodus is the story of God delivering his people, Israel, from captivity in Egypt, and it is impossible to overstate the importance of that story for the rest of the Bible. Uh, The Old Testament authors alone, they mention the Exodus story over 120 times. You can't understand the New Testament without understanding the story of the Exodus. Because you come to John 1 and Revelation, and it says that Jesus is the Lamb of God. What is that? That is the Passover Lamb that we're going to get to in a couple weeks when we get to Exodus chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 3 says this. It says that Jesus is the true and better Moses who has come to rescue you and me from our captivity to sin and death. You you cannot understand the Bible without understanding the story of the Exodus. You may not see it initially. It's hard to see, but once you see it, it's like, where's Waldo? The, The story of Exodus is showing up all over the Bible. And here's a third reason I think this series is really important. Exodus is a story about freedom. It's about God setting a people group free to love him and to love others. And freedom is is what animates our culture maybe more than anything else today. We hate oppression, as we should. We love freedom. I'll tell you what really animates us is personal individual freedom. I should be free to live how I want to live, do what I want to do, be who I want to be. And what we're going to see in this series is that Exodus both affirms our longings for freedom and it totally challenges our notions of freedom. If you want real freedom, Exodus is a book for you. And today, that's actually a good segue into today's passage because today's passage introduces us to the only real source of freedom. In Exodus chapter 3, we get introduced to the star of the book of Exodus. You know who the star of the book of Exodus is? It is not Moses. It is God. In chapters 1 and 2, God is hardly mentioned, as we talked about last week. But in this chapter, oh my goodness, 
God has put on full display. Exodus 3 is God's self-revelation. His self-disclosure to Moses and to who and to us to tell us who he is and what he is really like. Uh, in December of 2020, it's what I call COVID Christmas. Our whole family had COVID. We binge watched The Mandalorian in December of 2020. And uh, I'm sure many of you have seen it. Like 50% of Americans have seen this show. So a lot of people, if you haven't seen it, the only thing you need to know for the purposes of today's illustration is that you basically spend most of the show wondering who is the Mandalorian. He's got this mask on, he can't take it off, and the whole time you're like, who is he? Who's behind that mask? What is the identity of this person? And then finally, at the very end, he takes it off, and you're like, oh my gosh, the Mandalorian is the guy from Narcos. (laughs) Didn't see that coming. And Exodus 3 is like that moment. God is taking off the helmet. And he is revealing himself. And that is so significant. Because the only way that you and I can know who God is and what God is like is if he reveals himself to us. Think about it this way. We love self-expression, right? We say nobody can tell you who you are. Nobody else can define you. You decide You decide, and we get very offended if anyone tries to tell us differently. And yet, when it comes to God, we say things like this. Well, I think God is like this. Well, I think God is like that. We tend to give everybody the right to self-expression, but God himself. And the the question we should be asking is not, Well, what do you think God is like and what do I think God is like? The question we should be asking is, what does God tell us he is like? Who does he reveal himself to be? That's the only way we can know God. And the good news of this passage is that God discloses himself. He reveals himself. And you may have all of these notions of who you think God is and what God is like, but I'm telling you, when you see God as he really is, you will not want him any other way. Exodus 3 is here to challenge and redirect all of our false notions and false understandings of who God is. So what do we learn about God in this passage? That's where we're going today. What do we learn about God? Well, a lot. A lot more than we can talk about in our remaining time. So I'm going to give you three things. Three things. Three things we learn about God in this passage. And here's the first. First thing we learn about God, God seeks after us. The first thing I want you to see in this passage is that Moses is not looking for God. He is not looking for God, but God is looking for Moses. See, verse 1 says, Moses was out in the wilderness, and he is tending his father-in-law's flock of sheep. He's out in the wilderness. He's not in church. He's not praying. He's not on a spiritual quest. He's not looking for God. And you'd think he might be. You know why? Because Moses was an Israelite. He was in the line of Abraham. He knew the promises that God had made to Abraham to give him a land and a people and to bless them and to bless the whole world 
through through them, but right now, those people are living under oppression. And you know where Moses is living? He's living in hiding. Things are not good in Moses' life. Lots of people actually will turn to God when life gets hard. Moses isn't even doing that. He's not even looking for God in his suffering. But guess what? God is looking for Moses. And that is all over this text. Because it says that God sends this burning bush in the middle of the wilderness. Look at verse 2 in your worship guide. It says, Moses saw, and I want you to notice that word saw. Circle it in your worship guide if you've got a pen. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses saw the bush. What, What did God see? He saw Moses. Moses was looking for fire, and God was looking for Moses. And when Moses walks over to this bush, verse 4 says that God called out to him, Moses, Moses. You're like, why does God say his name twice? Is Moses hard of hearing? He didn't hear God the first time? No, the doubling of the name was a Semitic way of conveying deep affection Now, in just a moment, we're going to get to God's name. God's going to reveal his name for the first time in the whole Bible. He's going to tell us a name. But what I want you to see is that before Moses knows God's name, God knows Moses' name. Before Moses calls out to God, God calls out to Moses in love and affection. Before Moses seeks after God, God seeks after Moses. I have a friend who years ago, he was driving through uh, the, the rural countryside in Oregon, and it was, he was on this little two-lane highway, and he passed one of those missing persons billboard. Do you know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen one of these in a little bit, but there were these big billboards, and they'd have, at the very top, they'd have a, a person's face. And then next to their face would be this question, have you seen this person? Then underneath that, you get the person's name and their date of birth, details of where they were last seen and what they were wearing. And then at the very bottom of that is a 1-800 number. It's a number to call of a missing persons organization if you have any information about this person. But this billboard was different. It had the picture in the name of a young child at the top. But rather than the question, have you seen this person, here's what it said. I will find you. No matter what it takes, I will find you. This billboard was not put up by a missing persons organization. It was put up by the parent of this young child. And that is the heart of God. God says, I will find you, no matter what it takes. And so on every page of the Bible, God is seeking after people who are not seeking after him. He's seeking after people before they seek after him. Now let's just apply this for a moment. Some of you are here this morning exploring the claims of Christianity. Not yet a Christian. 
You're here because you have sensed an emptiness in your life. Something is missing in your life. And so you're on this spiritual quest looking for God. Searching for God. Wondering if there is a God. Rich Mullins, who was a Christian singer, songwriter, and author, he was once asked the question, how do, you, how do you know when God is calling you? And this is what he says. He says, to listen to the call of God means to accept some of the emptiness we have in our lives. And rather than always trying to drown out that feeling of emptiness, we allow it instead to be a door we go through in order to meet God. Don't you see the reason there's an emptiness? The reason you are here. Some of you can't believe you're in this room. Somebody told you last week you'd be sitting in a church service, you'd say, absolutely not. Somebody told you a year ago you'd be sitting in a church service. You never would have believed it, but you're here. Don't you see the reason that you're here? The reason there's an emptiness, the reason you're looking for God is because God is looking for you. Romans 3 says no one seeks God. No one seeks God. The only reason anyone seeks God is because God is seeking them. And that means that if you were here this morning and you want God, guess what? God already wants you. And he is looking for you like he is looking for Moses. And some of you hear that and you think, oh, that sounds nice, but you don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the lines that I have crossed. You don't know my story. Do you know what Moses did in Exodus chapter 2? I mean, just one chapter prior, he killed someone. And in Exodus 3, God is seeking him. And here's what's really interesting is that Exodus 2 to Exodus 3, the, the book really slows down from here till chapter 18, basically. From here to chapter 18 is about two and a half months. But from Exodus 2 to Exodus 3, it's 40 years. Moses kills someone. And for 40 years, he goes into hiding. He is hiding in shame and in guilt and in fear. And what does God do? He goes after him. If God can seek after Moses, he can seek after anybody in this room. And to my Christian brothers and sisters in this room, the fact that God seeks after us before we seek after him, it ought to do two things for us. One, it ought to amaze you that you are a Christian. Are you amazed that you're a Christian? Now, the next time someone says to you, you're a Christian, your response ought to be, yes, and I am more surprised than you are. The fact that anyone is a Christian is a miracle. The fact that God would seek after any of us is a miracle, but this is what God does. And it ought to amaze us and humble us and fill our lives with joy. And the second thing it ought to do is it ought to drive you to prayer for people around you who don't know Christ. Let me ask you a question. Do you look at people in your life, people at your school, at your places of work, People in your neighborhood, people in your family, and you say, they would never become a Christian. Now, if you can become a Christian, <laughs> if I can become a Christian, 
Anyone can become a Christian. If God can seek after us, he can seek after anyone. And so we ought to pray expectantly for God to be at work in the lives of people around us. Now, all of this raises a question. God, who is God? Well, God, God is a God who seeks after us. But why does God seek after us? And that brings us actually to the next thing we learn about God in this passage. God wants you to be known. God wants to be known. And he wants you to know him. God wants to be known and he wants you to know him. I mean, of all of the ways that God chose to reveal himself, he chooses fire in this passage. Now, that's interesting. And it's interesting because fire becomes a symbol for God's presence throughout the rest of the Bible and very particularly in the book of Exodus. In Exodus 13, God leads the Israelites through the Red Sea and through the wilderness, how? By a pillar of smoke. In Exodus 19, uh, fire appears on Mount Sinai when, God, when Moses encounters God. Why? Because that's where God is. Uh, at the very end of Exodus, Exodus chapter 40, in the tabernacle, there's fire. Why is there fire in tabernacle? Because that is where God dwells. And Hebrews chapter 12, 29 puts it this way. It says that God is a consuming fire. Now, why fire? I mean, of all of the ways that God have, could have revealed himself, why does he choose fire? Well, think about what it's like to sit by a fire. That's what Moses is doing in this moment. Think about what it's like to sit by a fire. You, you feel the heat of it on your face. You, you, you hear the crackle of the wood. You, you smell the smoke. You see the smoke. Fire overwhelms your senses. It's not just something that you ob observe. It is something that you experience. And this is what God wants for us. God wants you to experience him. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be in a personal relationship with him, God is not simply a set of truths to believe. He is a person to know. And not just know about, but to know. There's a very big difference between those two things. So you can spend your whole life in church and not know God. Oh, you can know a lot about God, but not actually know him. I mean, think about what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, I want to know Christ. Now Paul's original audience, they must have heard that and thought, what are you talking about? No, you do know Christ. I mean, you have studied more theology than we have. You've written books of the Bible you know about more about God than any of us do. What do you mean you want to know Christ? And Paul would say, you've misunderstood me. I didn't say I want to know about Christ. I said, I want to know Christ. This is Paul's way of saying, oh, I've met him. But I want to know more of him. I want deeper fellowship with him. Deeper relationship with him. Deeper closeness with him. And the the question that all of us should be asking, I mean, even if you have been a Christian for decades, is how do I get more of that? How do I know God more deeply? 
I mean, some of us are here this morning and we say, you know, I, I've been a Christian for as long as I can remember, but God is so stale to me right now. God seems far away. I don't feel his presence. I don't sense him in my life. Things feel pretty dry. I'm in a spiritual desert. How do I know God more deeply? And the answer to this text is you've got to learn how to cultivate burning bush experiences in your own life. If you want to know God more deeply, you need to cultivate burning bush experiences in your own life. What do I mean by that? Let's just get very practical here for a minute. Number one, you have to get alone with God. In order to know God, you have got to spend time with him. My wife and I have been married for 14 years now. I know her. Guess what? We still need to spend time together. It is impossible to know someone unless you spend time with them. So you've got to make space in your life so that God can speak to you like he spoke to Moses and so that you can speak to God like Moses spoke to God. What does that mean? That means time in God's word, listening to him. It means time in prayer, speaking to him. For some of us, the greatest obstacle in our spiritual journey right now is hurry. We have no buffer. We have no margin. But if you want to know God, you've got to make time to get alone with God. And, and when you do that, here's the second thing. I promise you two things will happen. Automatically, two things will happen when you get alone with God. You will see more of your sin and you will see more of God's grace. That's exactly what happens to Moses. Moses sees this burning bush. God calls out to him and Moses starts walking and God says, hold up. Don't come any closer. I mean, you think God would be like, bring it in, Moses. Let's hug it out. You know, and God says, don't take another step. Take, take your sandals off. This is holy ground. What is God doing here? God is overwhelming Moses with a sense of his sin and unworthiness. And he said, well, that, yeah, that sounds familiar. That, that's, that's what I thought God was like. Just putting everybody on a massive guilt trip. But look what God says in the very next breath. This is amazing. He says, don't come any closer. And then he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Do you know who these people are? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? <laughs> it's not a pretty track record. These people were cowards and tricksters. They were telling people in power that their spouses were their sisters because they were afraid for their own lives. These are people who did not always get it right. In fact, more often than not, they got it wrong. And God says to Moses, I am their God, and they are my people. Moses, if I can love them, I can love you. You see, if you really want your relationship with God to burn like a fire, to go beyond just head knowledge and to something that sets your heart aflame, then you've got to get into his presence and open his word and ask him to show you more of these two things, more of your sin and more of his love.
And here's the third way to create a burning bush experience in your own life. It's to live in the freedom of God's commands. God says in verse 8, I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. And I love that language of a good and spacious land. God says, I'm going to free my people from an old place and I'm going to set them free in a new place. And that is real freedom. Real freedom is not just being freed from something. It is being freed to something. And that is the exact opposite of how culture talks about freedom. We're going to talk more about this in this series. But culture says freedom is the absence of restrictions. It's being able to do whatever you want to do, as long as you don't hurt anybody else. And God says, no, freedom is actually finding the right restrictions. God wants to bring you into the good and spacious land of living in the freedom of his commands. Why does God want to do that? So that you can know him more deeply. That's why. You see, it is only as you walk in his commands that you actually begin to experience God's heart for you. You begin to realize, wow, these things are, God has spoken these things, not because he's trying to limit my fun, but because he wants to see me flourish in this world. God is for my joy, and he is for my blessing. And so the more you walk in his commands, the more you understand, the more your understanding of his heart for you grows, and the more your heart for him grows. You know why? Because the best love relationships, the best friendships, the best marriages is when one person says to another, your wish is my command. That's the kind of relationship God wants with you. He wants a love relationship with you. He wants intimacy. He wants personal relationship. Let me ask you a question. Where in your life is God calling you right now this morning, this week, to walk in the freedom of his commands so that you might know him more deeply, so that the fire of his love and presence might become more real to you. And that brings us to the last thing, actually, that we learn about God in this passage, and it's the second reason God seeks after us. God seeks after us because he wants to be known, he wants you to know him, but he wants to to use you for his purposes in the world. Whenever God seeks you, It is never just for your sake. Sometimes we think Christianity is just a get-out-of-hell-free card. You have misunderstood the call of God if that's all you think Christianity is. God never calls you and finds you just for your sake, but he always finds you for the sake of others. And this is why the first thing that God says to Moses in verse 10 is, go. Go, he sends him out. And we need to be really careful here because Moses plays a unique role in redemptive history. He plays a unique role in the unfolding plan of God's salvation. Moses is the one that God will use to lead Israel out of Egypt. 
Moses is the one who will be the mediator, the priest between God and Israel. Moses is the one who will be the prophet of God that speaks on God's behalf to Israel. There there is something about this call that is definitely specific to Moses, but it doesn't mean it doesn't have any application to your life and mine. Because every person that God seeks out in the Bible, God sends out. Abraham, Isaiah, the disciples. God is constantly saying to people, go. And if you are a follower of Jesus, he's saying it to you. See, how would your life look different if you started to see it through this lens? Through the lens of God sending you out for his purposes in the world. Sending you out to be a blessing to everyone that you come into contact with this week. Sending you out to be the the aroma of Christ, as Paul says in Corinthians. To those in your relational sphere. I mean, let me tell you, you would not wake up bored tomorrow. It would change your life. I mean, imagine how it would change your relationships. Imagine how it would change your singleness. You'd been getting to think about your singleness in an entirely different way. Imagine how it would change the way that you date. You wouldn't just use people. You say, how do I bless this person? Imagine the way that it would change your marriage, your parenting, Imagine the way that it would change the way you think about your job. Yes, God wants to use you even there, even in the most mundane moments of your Monday through Friday. Imagine how it would change the way that you think about this city, the way that you love this city. You would not wake up bored tomorrow. And you know, as exciting as that sounds, here here is the truth. It will not be easy. I mean, it's easy to feel inspired, right, in a church service. But it will not be easy. It was not easy for Moses. It won't be easy for us. Jesus puts it this way. He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Being sent out, living for God's purposes in the world, it's not convenient. It's not the easy road. It means that you become a servant. It means that you learn to take the low place. It means that you become radically generous. It means that you forgive people who hurt you and wrong you. It means that you begin to rearrange all of your priorities in life so that they become about building God's kingdom and not your own. And now what's, what's going to get you and me to do that? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the one up here preaching. Let me be the first to say that is not my bent. You know, the, the great Kanye West said Kanye is all about Kanye. Kanye loves Kanye. Brent loves Brent. And you love you. And what is going to turn us out from ourselves to the world, to God's purposes 
in the world. You know what's going to do it? (laughs) The answer is in these two questions that Moses asked to God at the end of this passage. God says, Moses, go. I want to send you out of my purposes in the world. And these are the two questions. Moses says, who am I and who are you? The first question, Moses says, God, well, well, who am I? How are you going to use somebody like me? And I love God's response. He says, I will be with you. God, God says, Moses, you have missed the point. The point is not who you are. The point is that I will be with you. And that means that God can use anyone, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. And so Moses says, okay, well, God, who are you then? You're going to be with me? I need a name. You know, you're sending me to these people, telling me to go to the Israelites. They're going to ask me, who sent you? I need a name. Give me a name. And God says, tell them I am sent you. I think Moses is probably like, is this, it feels like there's some better options here. I am. What a strange name. What a strange name. What is God trying to tell Moses with that name? And how does it, how does it enable you and me to be sent out to live for God's purposes in the world? rather than our own. Well, theologians, let me tell you, this name that God gives in Exodus 3, it's the first time God gives his name in the Bible. Jacob asks God to give him his name, and God doesn't do it. There's a woman named Hagar early on in Genesis. She names God. I love her name for God. She says, this is the God who sees me. That's an amazing name for God. But Exodus 3 is the first time in the Bible where God says, here's my name, and my name is I Am. And we're like, what does that mean? And let me tell you, theologians have, they call this the divine name. And they have spilled lots of ink trying to figure out what God was trying to say here. Some would say, well, you know, God was saying something about his eternal nature. Because God doesn't say, I was or I will be. God says, I am. That means he's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. Others say, no, this is about God's self-existence. God is saying, you know, everything else in creation either was or it will be, but I am and I have always been. It's God's way of saying, I'm not dependent on anyone else for my existence. Others would say, no, 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 this this is about God's sovereign power over creation. God is saying he has always been, and therefore he is the creator and the ruler of everything and every person, and because of that we owe him our worship. What is God trying to tell us in this name? I'm not sure, but here's what I do know. Thousands of years later, a man by the name of Jesus of Nazareth would show up. And as recorded in John chapter 8, he would take this name upon himself. He was in an argument with the religious leaders. And he looked at them and he said, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what they did? They picked up stones to kill him. You know why? Because they knew that everything God was claiming about himself to Moses, Jesus was claiming to them. And they wanted to kill him. And they failed that day, 
but they would succeed on another day. Jesus would be hung on a cross. And friends, what we find in the person of Jesus Christ is the great I am, the eternal God, the self-existing God, the sovereign creator, all-powerful God who made all things and who deserves our worship lays down his life for you and me. And Jesus says that because of that, you can now call God by a new name. Not I am, but Father. Do you know how this can change your life? Do you know how this can send you out these doors today to live for God's purposes in the world? Our family, um, we recently went to Disneyland, which means I am officially broke. Disneyland is really expensive these days. I don't know if you guys know this. And, uh, I mean, churros are like $22 or something. It's ridiculous. So it's good churro, but it's expensive churro. Uh, but it reminded me of a story when we were there of, uh, of Walt Disney. And Walt Disney was once asked, hey, when did you know that Disneyland was going to be a success? And he said, I can tell you the exact day and the exact time and the exact moment. He said, I I used to get up and walk the grounds of the park every morning because that's what you do when you own the place, you know. And he said one morning he came around the corner and he saw Cinderella bending down to pick up a piece of trash that had been left from the night before. He said that was the moment he knew it, that if he could get the princess taking the lowest position that everyone else was going to buy in and this thing was going to be a success. You know what will send you out to live for God's purposes in the world? Not trying harder. That will not do it. Not guilt. That will not do it. Not obligation. That will not do it. Not even more zeal. What will send you out is when you see the prince of glory taking the lowest position for you and living and dying in your behalf. It's when you see the God of heaven and earth sending his only son so that your heart can be captured and then you can be sent out. That's what this table is about. This table is where we feast with a God who seeks after us before we seek after him. We were not looking for God, but God came looking for us in his son. And he has made a way for us to know him and he wants to be known and he wants you to know him. And he wants to use you for his good purposes in the world. And so on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. 
And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup represents the new covenant, which is shed in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. The New Testament tells us as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we we want to know you. And we thank you for the good news of this table, which tells us that you want us to know you. That you want to be in relationship with us so desperately that you did not even spare your own son, but you came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. God, we need to know, some of us, we've we've never known you, and maybe this morning is the morning. And others of us, God, we we know you, but we, we need to know you more deeply. And so we ask that you would meet us now as we eat this bread and to drink this cup. Help us to know more of you, more of your love, more of your grace, of your faithfulness, of your kindness, more of your wisdom, more of your power, more of your goodness, more of your presence. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.